Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. This is where we are this morning. So I got readers on because I'm annoying myself because I write all over my Bible. See my Bible? This is, how, this is how I learn. I'm a tactile learner, and I need to put, no, anyways, it's how I learn. It's how I memorize. Um, but I write all over the place, and I covers up my Bible text. But this is my lead-in. So getting my eyes fixed yesterday. So I've got new contacts in. So I've got new eyeballs. And if that doesn't work, I've got readers just in case. But the guy there, he knows us. We're in there often enough with the boys and Trinity and myself. So he asked me what I was teaching on today. My response was adultery and lust. (laughs) The gal that was helping me had this response like, I'm not going to that church tomorrow. Um, So we have a hard subject matter today, but welcome to the word of God. There are lots of hard subject matters. As a congregation, again, we travel through the Word of God verse by verse, so we don't get to skip over anything, but we deal with it head on, which is awesome. So if anybody's shifting in their seats, good. I'm shifting in my seat too, but I should be more uncomfortable. My parents are in this room. My in-laws are in this room. One of my sons with his girlfriend is in this room. So if anybody's shifting around... I had to be shifting around. But there's, there's a level of excitement to this because this is the instruction of the word of God to us today, to the people that were listening to him while he's communicating this 2,000 years ago. It just communicates the human heart is the same yesterday. It's the same today. Everybody deals with these same emotions. So talking about them is fabulous. Definitely going to keep this PG, of course. Because this is a subject matter that we can press into in greater depth as we sit as men together or as the women sit as women together. Um, These are healthy conversations. We want to keep these conversations going, but we want to be appropriate at the same time. So where we're jumping in today is in verse 27. We're only going to cover through verse 30, but we're going to read a little bit into what we're going to talk about next week. Um, because this all ties together, and I'll give explanation in a second. So Matthew 5, 27 says, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. Ha, I don't need these. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell." Continuing on, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery." In that section on marriage and divorce, we are going to save for next week because it demands a lot of time in and of itself. 
But here is the context of where Jesus is. So Jesus, Matthew is communicating to us who Jesus is. In those first chapters, we have these declarations of who he is as the singular son of God in whom God was well-pleased, the beloved son and the good son. We've talked about all this already, but when Jesus enters into his public ministry, we're told that he's telling people to repent, to have the change of mind, to turn away from what you've learned and who you are and your own life and your own wants and you're turning to him looking to be transformed. And as he's calling people to follow him, he's saying, follow me. I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. I'm going to make you be something that you are not now, but you will be in your relationship with me. And now as he's seated, all the disciples are seated here on this mountainside, just north of the Sea of Galilee, and he is there teaching them. And as he's teaching them, he's communicating, this is the heart of the kingdom of God. This is the heart of my followers. This is the heart that you need to pursue, and this is the heart that I'm going to transform and make and create in you that may not be there now, but I'm going to help this kind of attitude and this kind of character be in you. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Today we're going to deal with that. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? For you shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers that we dealt with last week in regards to anger and how anger leads to murder, seeking to be reconcilers and peacemakers in our own souls with the Lord and with those human beings that we interact with. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then we're told in all of this, be filled with joy, rejoice, celebrate in your relationship with God, knowing that your reward is great in heaven. All that God is and all that God has made, he has promised to each and every one of us in him. And this ought to be this great source of rejoicing, a great source of content in our own souls. And we're going to press into that this morning because we're not going to sit in the mire and the yuck. We've got to talk about it. If you're sitting in the mire and the yuck, you've got to feel that. You've got to feel the weight of it. But we're going to point you to the way out of it, which is to Jesus and Jesus alone always. But in this message, then he defines who we are for him in this culture. You are salt. You are light. You are seasoning. You are flavor. You are to bring and add that fragrance of Christ into every interaction of your life. You're to shine the, his light that is shining into your soul and out of your soul. That when anybody sees the words that are coming out of your mouth, your behaviors, that they're turning not to glorify you, but they're turning to glorify God and heaven as they're responding to that. And then Jesus presses into this conversation about the word of God, that he is the fulfillment of the word of God. Everything that he said in history as God, because he is God, everything is going to be fulfilled. We look for it all to be fulfilled in him, past, present, and future. And then again, as we sit in this conversation last week, as he's talking about righteousness, here's the righteousness that comes from the law, which none of us can have. It demands absolute perfection. And here's the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. And now as he's talking about righteousness, he begins with this whole, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, you shall not commit murder. 
But then he deals with our hearts in regards to the anger, because anger is what brings us to the point of murder. As we sit in just the current news of, of what's going on in Israel right now, you sit with those who live in the Gaza Strip. They've been fed anger their whole lives. And what we see thrust out in violence and in murder, how can that not be the result of the anger that they've sat in their entire lives? And now you put yourself on the Israeli side. Would you not be filled with rage? But again, even in, their, even in the military conflict that's going on right now, I'm praying for the nation of Israel to have the restraint of God. Because if they pursue vengeance in their own anger and their own flesh, we watch this in the Old Testament. Those who committed war in anger and in the heat of anger, outside, beyond the judgment of God and beyond the war that was necessary, there was a specific judgment for that anger because God doesn't call any of us to anger, but we're praying for peace, we're praying for protection. Sat in all of that last week, but again, it's a current thing in our culture. Continue to pray for peace, pray for God's righteousness, pray for God's justice, and pray for the almighty God to be known to all whether they're Palestinians, whether they're Israelis, whether they're Americans, Ukrainians, Russians, may God be magnified through that all. But one of the things that anger breeds in our souls, it's bitterness, it's discontent. I don't like my life. I don't like the people that are in my life. It damages relationships. And that feeds into this conversation of adultery and lust. I guarantee you right now that there is not a marriage throughout all of human history where adultery has occurred, where there's not a root of anger that's going on. We read through into divorce because when adultery is committed in a marriage, often that leads to divorce. So that's why Jesus begins to talk about divorce. As he's talking about divorce, then that leads into the next conversation that he's going to talk about is our oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In divorce, your yes became a no, and that's against the will of God. And when you sit in those relationships where that kind of breaking has occurred in divorce, and those of you who have experienced this, you know this emotion. There's a desire for vengeance. There's a desire for retribution. And that's why he begins to deal with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he leads into that conversation. And through this long arc, as he's talking about bringing about his righteousness in our life, the only solution is not pursuing your enemies for your vengeance in their life, whoever you define as your enemy. You're to pursue every single human being in love because love triumphs over all. God's love for us is what has conquered our soul. Our love for other people is what is going to catch the attention of our enemies. And ultimately in this conversation, as we press into lust and adultery this morning, this, this, this ends up be, becoming your own personal prison in your own personal cage in your own personal misery. And it's, it's a cesspool that's going on in your own soul, in your own mind. And again, the only light and the only freedom of that is through restoration in Jesus Christ. As we press into this definition of adultery, you have to sit in God's creation. 
In the beginning, he created Adam and Eve. He created male and female, man in his image. And as he creates Adam and Eve, he gives them to one another in unity to be helpers, in relationship, in unity. We watch a, in that definition in the garden, they're naked, they're uncovered, everything's good, everything's righteous. When they sin, this sin that comes in, this death that comes in, this breaking of, this spiritual breaking of relationship with God, they sought, they immediately, their immediate response is, I'm naked. Their immediate response was something sexual and they needed to be covered. They sought to cover themselves. God gave them a covering of skin, all this definition of sacrifice. But you look from the very root of sin in human history, there's a sexual nature to it. And the uncovering of the human body ought not to be except in the, in the, in the, relate, in the marriage relationship. And then there's freedom and have all the fun that you want. But when you sit in the narrative of the Bible, we watch sexual immorality and adultery grow story after story. And in, uh, in Cain's descendants, you have Lamech. So Cain and Abel, again, great definition of what it means to, lash, to be filled with anger and to lash out and murder in Cain's example. Cain's descendant Lamech is our first testimony of a man who takes two wives. Again, that's not God's design. That is not his plan. It is sin. It is adultery. It's sexual immorality. That you watch, watch being bred in human beings. We watch sexual immorality in Noah's family once they get off the ark. You see sexual immorality between, uh, between Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. You see sexual immorality going on in Jacob's family. You see it with Judah and Tamar. You see it with Jacob and his four wives. You watch this arc of broken marriages all through the Old and New Testaments. And Jesus is saying, you've heard that it said, God created you male and female. And when you say yes, let your yes be yes to that singular individual. And don't let anything in anyone separate you and break that relationship. But in that command, again, this is one of the Ten Commandments, just like you shall not murder is one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery is one of the Ten Commandments that we have listed out for us. And also is this whole idea is you shall not covet you shall not have this wicked, fleshly, unhealthy, dark desire in your soul for what is defined as somebody else's. You shall not lust for, covet your neighbor's wife. And that's the conversation that Jesus is getting into. This is not just an American cultural thing. It's not something that's modern. This has been going on since sin has been going on. And Jesus is addressing it in his own culture. It's really easy for us to watch the movies and just think that everybody's very reserved and has this Victorian ethic. Um, and that's just not true. As Jesus is sitting down speaking to his audience, his audience is guilty of the sin of adultery. And again, as always, Jesus is getting to that root. The, the physical act of adultery, of stepping outside of your marriage and, and defiling your marriage bed with another human being, um, that begins with a, an unhealthy desire in your own soul. And just like we all know that it's wrong to murder, 
We all know that adultery is wrong. It's written on every single human heart. And we all know that lust is wrong. It's on every heart. I read an article yesterday, Wall Street Journal, published on Friday. What's the Wall Street Journal all about? Business. It's how to make money. It's where do you want to invest money, what's going on in the different markets, to know where to invest, know what's going on in the business world. That's, what the, that's the point of that publication. And yesterday, they've got an article on the consequences of pornography in our own culture. It's the Wall Street Journal for crying out loud. And that newspaper and that writer is looking at America's recent history back into the 60s and just watching what the sexual revolution has done within our own culture. Now, the culture that Jesus is communicating to, the Jews are just as dark as we are. You go sit in the Greek, in the Roman culture, oh my. You think that we're perverse? Oh my. We're on a very slippery slope downward, and we are picking up steam as we go down this slope. But again, the gospel saved people out of their cesspool historically, has saved me out of my cesspool, and will save you and our culture out of its cesspool, should anybody listen. But in this article, November of 22, 10 billion hits, access, whatever, to the most popular pornography site on the internet. One website, one month, 10 billion hits. 97% of individuals who accessed that website accessed it through cell phones. This is something that we all carry in our pockets. This is something that is part of our daily life. There is no hiding from it. You need it for work. You need it for life. It's there. But it is an open door to this whole realm of feeding lust. And within this, you know, um, I have on my phone, I've got Covenant Eyes. I have it on the computers here at the church. But Covenant Eyes comes out of Job chapter 31, where Job is making this declaration that I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on a young woman. And this is the same kind of attitude that each one of us, man or woman, needs to have in regards to just where your eyes are looking. But again, where your eyes are looking, the conversation is really getting into your heart. And that's what Jesus presses into in this conversation. And it's a very radical, sets you back a little bit, causes you to be uncomfortable. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better for you for, to lose a member of your body and enter into the kingdom of heaven maimed than it is for your whole body to be cast into hellfire. Remember last week we talked about Gehenna, that having the, just calling somebody you fool and, you know, you idiot, you moron. These words that come out of our mouths put us in danger of the judgment. That danger was of hellfire. It's that same language that Jesus is using for Gehenna here. If your right eye is causing you to sin, you, you pluck it out and you cut it off. You deal with sin radically in your life. But here's ultimately what Jesus is getting at. 
because he gives, here's the command that you've heard in the Old Testament, and he's processing through a culture that has all kinds of excuses to do what they want to do, just like our culture has all kinds of excuses to do what we want to do. And he pulls those excuses out from underneath our feet because then he gets to our heart. Even if you haven't committed the physical act of adultery, we all know what it's like to lust within our heart, to step outside of what God tells us is a healthy sexual relationship and to cross the lines. We all know that to one degree or another. So he's getting to our hearts and what we think about and that transformation, which gets back to that foundation of the Beatitudes. But what he's doing here further in this extreme example, and this is hyperbole, Jesus is not asking anybody to maim their physical bodies and thinking that maiming your physical body is the solution to what you have going on inside your heart. What he's doing is he's removing the excuse. Because what people want to say, well, it's their fault. If that woman didn't dress that way, then I wouldn't have an issue. And you sit with the whole Muslim culture of the world, covering women from head to toe, covering their body parts as though it's the woman's fault. It's, it's, a, it's an image of their own soul. They're the ones that have the issue. So Jesus is here. Again, the Bible talks about being seduced and being tempted. Very clearly, we're to have uh, strong guards in, in our life and you know, not live those things out, being tempting to other people. But as Jesus is addressing the subject matter here, he's dealing with you specifically. And he did the same thing when he talks about murder. He's saying, you all have heard it said, don't commit murder. You all have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Now you, what's going on with the anger in your heart individually? You individually, what's going on with lust in your heart? And he's telling us that to, to be radical with it, one, but at the same time, he's, he's doing away with our excuses. You could pluck out both of your eyes and still be consumed with lust in your heart and still be sinning in your heart, and still being an adulterer in your heart. You can cut off both of your hands and still be an adulterer. You can cut off both of your feet and still be an adulterer. You can remove every single temptation in your life and still be an adulterer in your heart. So again, this is why Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter, and he always gets to the heart of the matter. And the harder of the matter is, look at me. I am here to give you freedom. I am here to give you hope. I am here to give you res- uh, reconciliation, redemption, purity. I'm going to step into my testimony just briefly, not in depth, but to give everybody hope for the way out. This is, last week I gave you a few examples of memorials of, that I have in my own soul when it comes to God exposing my own anger and dealing with that anger. But if I were to list out for you my number one sin, my number one sin in my flesh is lust. This is something that woke up in my soul at a very young age in elementary school. This is a ladder that I began to climb very young in my life. By the time I hit those later years in high school, again, I've locked into a party crowd. My alcohol experiments and my drug experiments all revolved around chasing girls. That was my drug. 
I lived with a girl before Julie that I was engaged to playing house, and that grew that sin in my life. That access being out from underneath the umbrella of my parents' home and the internet just coming out, that led into an open door to pornography. When I left, when that girl and I parted our separate ways and I moved back home, I went full tilt into my flesh because I was alone and I was trying to get that fix that I had in that relationship. I didn't have that fix in my soul anymore. So I started pursuing that fix wherever I could get it. And that led to a life of promiscuity going from woman to woman. One of those women I know, I don't know about others, but one of them I know for sure was married. So therefore, I'm the definition of an adulterer. And this is the hope, though. Even, even in that darkness, and that was darkness for me. I was raised in a good home. I was raised by loving parents, always had a fabulous relationship with my parents. But my culture gave me a permission to go do whatever I wanted to do as long as I didn't get anybody pregnant and as long as I didn't get a disease. Otherwise, I had the permission of my culture to do whatever I wanted to do. But the permission and the freedom that I had from my culture was breeding darkness in my soul, and I knew it. Jesus was hunting me even then. The Holy Spirit was convicting me even then. I didn't know anything about the gospel. I didn't know anything about forgiveness. I didn't know anything about the way out. I didn't know anything about a pure heart. I didn't have any of this in my vocabulary, but I sat down with my mom at the kitchen table. This is what's going on. This is not who I want to be. And again, in that, in my own flesh, my own strength, in that conviction, I was able to pull back. A couple of months after that conversation with my mom was when I met Julie. Julie's the first born-again believer that I know that I ever met in my life. And here, even though we're pursuing sin together, she's still shining the light of the gospel and of Jesus Christ in my life. God convicted me of my sin, and he sent a messenger in my life to help me hear the message of the gospel and to help me hear the way out. Now, for my wife, she's got this radical personality where she's super resolved. She's an on-off switch. I'm a dimmer. I don't know where you are in that relationship. I need to be in the Word of God all the time. I need to be close to the Lord. I am 100% confident. That's why he's called me to the role of a teacher and a pastor is because I need, that forces me to be in this document. I don't have any excuses not to be because I got to be reminded why my yes was yes yesterday and the week before because I forget. Julie's resolved. She says yes it's yes for the rest of her life. She says no, it's no for the rest of her life. She drives me nuts. Me, it's I say yes, and I'm good for a week. I'm good for six weeks. I'm good for six months. And then it's, why did I say, I don't remember why I said it. I gotta be in this document, reminding me why I've said yes to Jesus all through this journey, because he reminds me of who he is, and he's awesome. But through that process, it took for me I was the dimmer where I am slowly having the darkness overwhelmed by his light in my life. And again, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ is being raised in my soul. And that dimmer switch is still being raised in my soul even today. I give that slice of my own walk and relationship with the Lord 
Because again, when we sit in the statistics of what's going on in this culture, when I talk about you in this conversation, you may be saying, well, that's not me. Well, it's the person next to you. And if this isn't a fight and a struggle for you, if this is not your sin, I praise God right alongside of you. If this is your sin, if, if, if that's you, if this is not your sin, then I want you praying for the other men and women in this room because the temptation is there and the temptation is real. As we sit in the technology of our cell phones, as we talk about the young that are in this room, they have seen what you don't want them to see. It is real, it is unavoidable, and we need to have real and mature and healthy and godly conversations about how God has designed us and not to get on that ladder of sexuality before, um, before it's your time. It starts with hugging, and then it's holding hands, and then it's pecks, and then it grows from there. It is the natural progression for how God has wired us. Some of us have had major victory and walked in, in purity in that. I praise God with you. Most of the people in this room have fallen in that and fallen repeatedly. So I share all of this to say is that there is freedom in Jesus Christ and there is transformation in Jesus Christ and there is light in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're gonna press into in the rest of this conversation. But between you and God, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you fell into this sin this morning, last night, last week, six months ago, a year ago. I don't know if this is a decade in your past. I don't know where you are in this room, but wherever you are, I want to encourage all of us not to pursue the lusts of our flesh, but to pursue the spirit of God and his light and his righteousness in our life. And again, if lust, if this isn't your thing, something's your thing. And in regards to being radical with sin in your life, this is how Jesus addresses all sin in our life, not just the sin of lust. I wrote down these different, uh, just these different phrases in my Bible, you know, pulling out all the different words that different commentators used, that we are to deal radically and decisively with sin. We're to deal with it drastically, unconditionally, in self-denial, with self-discipline, with no compromise. Wrote down one of them, just stop. Mortification of the flesh. Now let's sit in the encouragement. Turn to Galatians. We'll read a couple of passages in Galatians and Ephesians that I think are just really encouraging and helpful in this conversation. Galatians chapter 5. And in this letter, Paul is talking all about the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, the encouragement is for all of us to stand fast. Stand, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ Jesus has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Encouragement to every one of you. If you, have, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, 
in Jesus, there is liberty and there is freedom. Don't let anything put your soul and your mind and your heart and your mouth and your behavior in bondage. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ Jesus has made us free. In verse 13, he says, for you, brethren, you have been called to liberty. You've been called out of bondage, out of darkness, out of all of this stuff. You've been called to liberty only. Don't use liberty as an opportunity for your flesh, but through love, serve one another. In Romans, in Romans chapter 13, Paul says, love does no harm. When you said just in the topic of lust, love harms your soul. Lust harms the soul of those who are being used and abused to promote it in your life. Lust harms your soul as you knock on that door with other individuals. Love does no harm through love, through his sacrificial love, serve one another. All the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, this is awesome. Here's the solution. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is why I'm turning away from the conversation of the cesspool because we don't need to talk about the darkness. We need to talk about Jesus. If this is your struggle, if lust is your struggle, and this is all that you're thinking about, and you're thinking about how you need to protect yourself, and this is in your mind every single day, it's the big thing in your life, and you're going to fall into it. If the Holy Spirit is big in your life, this is what walking in the Spirit means. If you seek to walk in the relationship with the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ in your life every single day, you will not fulfill and complete the lusts of your flesh, but your flesh is going to be transformed. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There is this, the flesh wants to do one thing and the spirit wants to do another. Let your spirit that has been made alive through faith in Jesus Christ win out through the spirit of God that dwells in you. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Paul begins with, which are adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness and lewdness, all of that, sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice, this is the, the course, the nature, the character, what you were doing intentionally, practicing, growing in, in your life, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus's conversation in the gospel of Matthew, he is proclaiming to us what his kingdom is all about. And if this is the life that you wanna live, you have the freedom to live it. You have the freedom to practice it. But know 
that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And get it back into the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Again, sit in the contrast. And here is the contrast of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, the fruit. Here's the product, the singular product of a relationship with God. He is going to cause himself to be imaged in your heart, in your soul, in your mind. Praise God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against all those, there's no law. There is nothing that God says against any of those characteristics that were just listed out. Here is God in you, producing in you. You focus on these things, regardless of what you're churning on in your heart, where you know that you're off. You seek for the Holy Spirit to help you in this, whatever's going on. Lord, bring about love, love for you and love for people. Lord, I am, I'm just, I am bogged down in my depression and discouragement what I think about myself, what I think other people think about me, the culture and where's the free. I'm just bogged. Lord, I need your joy. Rejoice and celebrate. Great is your reward in Christ today and great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. Those who are, in, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Continues on, brethren, if any man or woman is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So I began this morning, there's freedom in Christ. I know what it's like to be dark. I know what it's like to violate my relationship with the Lord. And I know what it's like to find freedom and cleansing in him. I know what it's like to be restored by faithful brothers and sisters. If there's any sin in your life, specifically lust, but if there's any sin in your life, we're not here to condemn. We're here to see you restored and reconciled in Christ in all areas of your life. I consider myself every time that I counsel. I remember who I was, but who I was doesn't own me, doesn't find me. I'm reaching forward. I'm reaching towards Jesus Christ. He has laid hold of me for a reason, and I am following him in that upward call. Amen? Do this for one another. Don't condemn each other. Don't throw stones at each other's head. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? Jesus convicted all of those men. They all dropped their rocks. They had none to throw because they were all guilty. And Jesus didn't condemn that woman, but told the woman to get up and sin no more. In the spirit of gentleness, we restore each other, considering ourselves, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Jump down to verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
And nothing can you turn up your nose towards God. For whatever a man sows, whatever seeds you are casting, that he will also reap. Listen to this warning and this encouragement. He who sows to his flesh, you're planting seeds of your flesh, in your flesh, of the flesh, you are going to reap corruption, decay. But he who sows to the Spirit, contrast, here's where our focus ought to be, sow to the Spirit in your life. Will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary. Let us not become discouraged while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Specifically in our relationships, even coming back to lust and and sowing to your spirit and the relationships that you have in this room. I preach this to myself almost every Sunday as I'm interacting with you. Those ladies that are in this room that are younger than me, my, my goal in my interaction with you is to treat you exactly like I would treat my daughter. You women who are approximately my age, if I could speak, my goal in my relationship with you is to treat you exactly like I would treat my sister. And that's why I make fun of you and I'm a jerk and a smart aleck because that's who I am to my sister. You're welcome. Blame it on her. For those women that are in this room that are older than I am, my goal in, in my interaction with you is to treat you just like I would treat my mother. And for those of you who know my mom, she's a smart aleck too, so you get all my sarcasm. But again, same thing, men and women in this room, we treat each other as family. My love for you is to do no harm to you. My love for you is to do no harm for me. I need to make sure my thoughts towards you in everything that I think about you, whether it's in the area of sexuality or any other thoughts that I think towards you, that I am seeking, Lord, you tell me that there is a blessing for me to be pure in my heart. And when I am pure in my heart, there I see you. When I'm pure in my heart towards the men and the women who are here, who are not even part of our congregation, I get to see God through those relationships and those interactions. If my heart's not on purity, if it's on something, if it's on something that's off or whatever, I'm not seeing God in you. I'm not seeing God in that experience. I'm seeing darkness. Now turn to Ephesians because God has called us out of darkness. This is where we're going to end. Ephesians 2 says, you he made alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins. This is for every human being in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. There's the bad news. Every human soul sits under that judgment and that condemnation. Verse 4, but God. God is so awesome. God 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which with, with which he loved us while you were still sinners, while you were a child of darkness, while you were a child of wrath, while you were a child of disobedience, God sent his son to die for your sins on the cross. God is rich in mercy. And because of his great love, which he loved us, even us who were dead in trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You have been and has raised us up together and has made us, sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, the transformation of the soul, you can go and try and bite in, taste in whatever you want in this life, and there is nothing that compares to the majesty of God. Look at just the promise of God's grace that he has given to us. All that he's done for us, all that he is, all that we are in him, oh my. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And that, it's not of yourselves. It is a gift. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. You are God's poem. You are what God does. You are the product of his work, is that word. We are his workmanship. Created in Jesus Christ, not for us, but we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to sing a couple of more songs. As a church, again, I want you to come up and grab communion and hold on to it together. We're going to pray together as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, his body, his blood. But if you don't hear anything this morning, I want you to hear there is freedom there is liberty and there is light and there is joy in your life. Regardless of what has occurred in your past and regardless of how close that past is to your present. I want to give you the freedom and the liberty to rejoice, to have joy, to have peace in your soul. To know that regardless of how you define the old person, that through your faith in Jesus Christ, through his gift of grace, you've been made new. You are not the old, but you are new and you are light and you have his life right now today. And that's why we gather together. That's why we celebrate. That's why we have patience with one another when we fall and stumble in all areas of life. This is why we communicate the gospel to everybody who is on the outside that are not part of the body of Christ yet because we want them on the inside. We know what the darkness is like and we have freedom. Celebrate that freedom, share that freedom, walk in the spirit, walk in liberty, walk in life. The journey is incredible.